indeed a special day, one of God's seven holy days through the year, and has a great part in the picture, the story of his plan of salvation. So it's a very, very important day. Before we get into a spiritual message about it, though, or a sermon at least, it's a special music is a spiritual message too. I didn't mean to to say that wrongly. <coughs> but we do, <coughs> do have special music. The uh, church chorale will sing, It Won't Be Long Now. This was composed by Ralph Jefferson some years ago and taken from Revelation 22 and verse 20.
I was reading this morning in Leviticus 23 in preparation for today uh, about Pentecost. And it's interesting here after you count 50, which represents jubilee, uh, liberty, and peace in the land, and everybody gets back that which was originally your theirs. Uh, a wonderful time, a jubilee, the probably happiest year out of every 50, uh, undoubtedly. But the couple things in here that I sort of focused on, uh, this is about the first fruits in Leviticus 23, verse 17. Uh, we know the first fruits are from Revelation 7 and 14, uh, the 144,000 that are mentioned there. It says, these are the first fruits. No more, no less. These are the first fruits. So he's talking the first fruits <coughs> to the eternal, and they were to be uh, offered with an animal sacrifice, a sweet savor to God. It says then down in verse 19 that you're to take two lambs of the first year for a sacrifice of peace offerings. So a peace offering was a big part of what they brought before God on the day of Pentecost. Now, in Galatians 5, one of the fruits of the Spirit of God is peace. Uh, Blessed are the peacemakers, Christ said there in Matthew 5 when he started the Sermon on the Mount. So peace is something that we as humans would love to have. It's something we seek, and yet it's something that uh, is out of our grasp. Very rarely upon the earth since Adam and Eve has there been peace. It seems like there's war somewhere, sometime, all the time. And we're headed very quickly now into another world war because all nations are going to have their economies ruined. Uh, they're going to be seeking their own the best way they can find it. And there will not be peace between now and the time come Christ comes except for those who are following and serving Him and upon them will He bring peace. We've been reading that a lot. But they were to bake two wave loaves of fine flour, ground very fine, and it was to be baked with leaven. He wanted to be sure that the leaven spread throughout the 144,000, throughout the church. Uh, here, leaven is a good thing, not a bad thing. It was only a bad thing at Passover and unleavened bread because sin had spread through. And it represented sin. It is just a, an agent that spreads throughout something. So it can be very good if it's spreading peace and safety and love. It can be very bad if it's spreading sin. So he uses it... it as different uh, meanings at different times. And at Pentecost, he wants peace spread throughout his people, throughout his church, peace between God and man, because this offering, of course, was given to God, 
and not to each other. So, peace between God and man is a very, very important thing. Uh, he says there in Isaiah 58 that those who would keep his Sabbaths and keep his fast properly uh, would be healers of the breach. It's obvious, I think, that mankind has a great breach between himself and God. Uh, this is not a godly world. It is not a godly nation. Uh, there are very, very few people who have a relationship at all with God, and that's a very tenuous one, because even the church of God itself has been pretty much at war with God over the past 37 years. Uh, there was a certain amount of peace between people in the church and between the church and God up until Herbert Armstrong died and then it went south in a hurry and there was confusion and lack of peace, uh, people biting at each other and not having a true good relationship with God. So Pentecost is to represent the coming of God's Spirit, which it did in Acts 2, and great growth uh, came out of that because from just carnality, which showed up in Peter and the other apostles, came conversion, and with that conversion of the Holy Spirit, peace began to come among the apostles. Uh, they quit fighting among themselves for uh, who would be the greatest, and they went about doing the work of God and creating peace with those that God was calling and peace between those who had not been a part of anything, because the church hadn't been there. But their job then was whenever people were called and converted, was to create peace between them and God. Because peace between God and man is as important as anything gets. Uh, he is not going to have a kingdom that is warlike or people fighting among themselves. It's just not going to happen. If he has people uh, that won't turn their sword into a plowshare, they won't be in the kingdom of God. He just won't tolerate it. That's when we go through this boot camp down here, is to hopefully get the war out and peace in. So it's a big part of Pentecost. And his spirit, which again, uh, one of the fruits of it, is peace. And there will be a wave offering of the two lambs and those two loaves of bread, representing peace between God and man. And then as I read on down, <coughs> uh, it was to be a holy convocation, Pentecost, a commanded assembly, a holy day. But he added something there. When they were to start their harvest in the spring, barley, wheat harvest, they were to leave the corners and not, and not harvest them so that the poor and strangers might come and glean those corners, that they might have something even though they were poor. Uh, those who had fields and who had wealth could share that much with them and help them to survive, if you will. So, peace involves reaching out and offering to others what they might lack. 
Now, when I was reading this, it reminded me of the book of of, uh, Ruth. And there, Ruth was poor, her mother, or her mother-in-law, and she was, and they needed help. And the book of Ruth is about that story, about them. And it equates to the church. Someone said they were studying it the other day, and I, I had a note here in Leviticus 23 about that. And uh, so I turned back to it, and lo and behold, uh, I had a note here that said that the Jews always, as a tradition, wrote, read the book of Ruth on Pentecost. Now, I did that some years ago. I don't remember when. But it struck me that uh, with the meanings in the book of Ruth, it would be a good thing for us to do here on Pentecost. Now, let's, let's get a time setting. This was during the time of the Judges. Uh, the chapter above the book of Ruth is uh, Judges 21. In verse 25, the last verse of the book of Judges, he makes a summary statement and says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Now that's a deplorable state. When you do not have a leader, a king, uh, whatever, depending on the type of government you have, if there's no one to lead, the people get confused. They do what's right in their own eyes. Uh, society begins to come apart, and we have that in our country today. We may have a titular leader, but he's no leader, and he has no brain uh, to speak of. And therefore, everyone's just kind of doing what they want to do and being led around by some really weird, polluted people. And we're headed into absolute anarchy very soon. So that's what was happening in Israel at the time that the book of Ruth occurred. They were living in the time of the judges. It says, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Now, on a spiritual level, uh, America has been in a spiritual famine for quite some time. Uh, Amos said there would be a famine not of uh, bread, but of the Word. And that had occurred. Now, that was partly taken care of uh, by the Worldwide Church of God, began to come up with right doctrines and began to lead people out of the spiritual famine that was here upon our nation. Uh, God began to raise that up, but there were problems. There were difficulties, difficulties in a time of famine. Now, this man was from Bethlehem, Judah, where Christ was born. And... Uh, he saw conditions there and thought, well, I'll try something different. So he was doing according to what was right in his own eyes as well. He thought, things aren't right here, things aren't good here, there's a famine, I'm, I'm out of here. 
So he went to Moab, which was a nephew of Israel. Uh, Lot was Abraham's nephew, so it came down that way. He and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Her name meant pleasant one, or peace. Interesting. Uh, we just saw that within the day of Pentecost, peace is a key ingredient, and a peace offering to God was made. Uh, Bethlehem Judah, by the way, means house of bread. Christ being born there, he became the bread of life. And it also means, within the meaning of it, God is king. But here's Elimelech uh, with his wife Naomi, and the story is more about her, and as we shall see, and not about him so much. But uh, his sons were named... Malion and Chilion, which means, one of them means uh, wasting away, and the other means sickly. I don't know why you name your kids that when they're born, but maybe that's the way they were born, is they, they were not healthy from birth even. And they went on to Moab, if you will, which is outside Israel, uh, which in that sense, outside the church. Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the other was Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. <clears throat> and then the two sons died, both of them, and the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. So here she was in the land of Moab, away from her own land. Uh, her husband had died, her two sons had died, and she had two daughters-in-law is all she had. We saw worldwide taken over by two spiritually sick men who essentially died. Joe Koch did die, and his sons dead spiritually, certainly, and... There wasn't much left, was there? Just scattered people like Naomi and her two daughters-in-law, which weren't, weren't even Israelites. They were Moabites. So she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people and given them bread. So he heard things, she heard there was a place where things were getting better. That Moab wasn't the place to be, a strange land with only her daughters-in-law. I should go back to my people. And God is beginning to move and give them something, some bread, in a time of famine. So maybe that's a good place to get back to. Do you think the church is going to see a place where God is going to begin to give bread and they'll want to go back to that which they've known, that which will be good now instead of spiritual famine? Wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her and then went on the way to return to the land of Judah. 
Now, Naomi thought about this. Here I am. I was born an Israelite. I'm going back there. Uh, but my daughters-in-law were born in Moab. They're Moabites. Uh, why would they want to be in Israel? Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Eternal deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. Her daughter-in-laws had been good to their husbands. They had been good to Naomi. Uh, there, there, there wasn't a dysfunctional situation, but it was a good situation between them. So she said, Go back to your mother's house. And the Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. So it was a very emotional moment, and there was to be a separation of the ways. There was to be a, a, an attempt to find a right way, a good way, for all of them. And Naomi thought, well, this is the best way for them. They should go back to their family. And yet Christ tells us that we have to be willing to give up our family. We have to be willing to give up any and everything and come and follow him. So they, had, they were at a crossroads here. What do we do? Now, they didn't understand all the spiritual ramifications that you and I get from Scripture, but they were still at a crossroads, not knowing quite what to do. And in emotion and so on, they wept. And they said to her, Surely we will return with you to your people. There's really nothing here for us. Uh, we've drawn close to you in these ten years, and we want to be with you. Now, hopefully... Uh, as we obey God and seek to serve Him, people will want to be with us. Perhaps they begin to gravitate to us if our light is a good light. Uh, those analogies are all through the Bible. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Why will you go with me? So she begins to kind of argue the case. Are there yet any more sons in my womb that you may that they may be your husbands? <laughs> Why do you want to stay with me? Uh, you married my boys and they died. You think sticking with me is going to provide some more sons that you can marry? <clears throat> Turn again, my daughters, go your way. For I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband also tonight, and should also bear sons. Uh, I, I really don't have much hope. I'm too old. I don't have a husband. And if I have found one, uh, nothing's going to happen anyway. But if it did, would you tarry for them till they were grown? You'll be pretty old yourself then by the time they were big enough to marry. So she's saying, it's kind of pointless and fruitless to be with me. That's the whole idea she's trying to get across. Would you stay for them from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me much for your sakes that the hand of the Eternal has gone out against me. So Naomi, whose name was Peace, or uh, a pleasant one, 
had come to a situation where it wasn't pleasant and it wasn't peaceful anymore. And we in the church have come to the same point over the years where the church has not been peaceful, it has not been pleasant, it has been divided and confused, and people arguing among themselves. This is an old story we've told a hundred, a thousand times in the last 47 years. But everywhere you go in the Bible, it's the same story. doesn't matter which book it is, it's the same story over again. God is trying to get across to us that we need to find Him and find peace in Him, and we won't find it anywhere else. Whatever physical conditions there might be, it's not going to work out. And that's what Naomi's trying to tell these daughters-in-law. Stale and me's not going to get you anywhere. Uh, I can't have kids. I'm too old. And by the time, if I did have, they got old enough to marry, you're too old, and they'll be looking for younger women like they are. <laughs> or younger husbands, I mean, like they are, uh, were at their age. So he said, she said, there's just no answer here for you. And that's been kind of the way it's been with the church. We, we ran up a wall, to a wall, and there was no answer here. Now what do you do? There's no answer. Well, you begin to find an answer. If you don't have an answer, you begin to look for one. Whatever the circumstance. It grieves me for you that the Lord has gone out against me. It seems like God is even against me. And it's been that way with the church. God has been punishing it. He has cursed it. He has been splitting it and messing it all up. And we, which went from somewhat pleasant, became somewhat bitter and confused. I mean, as an overall church. And they lifted up their voice and wept again. She, she told him, there's no hope with me, so let's have another cry. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth played to her. She kissed her goodbye, in other words, but Ruth didn't. And she said, behold, your sister-in-law has gone back unto her people and to her gods. Go back to your people, go back to your old ways, go back to your gods, uh, Coming with me and serving my God doesn't seem to be going to help you. He doesn't seem to be helping me at the moment. So she was at a very terrible time and situation in her life. So you might as well go back to your people and your gods. Doesn't do any good to be with me. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to return from following after you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. So she had learned some things, and looking at a no-answer situation, she says, if there's an answer, you're it. I'll go with you, I'll go back to you, to your people, I'll go and worship your God. So, she was beginning to find an answer. 
Naomi didn't know it yet, and neither did Ruth. But she says, I'm casting my lot with you. Let's just stay together, and we'll take it from there. And she emphasized it. Where you die, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part you and me. So to her, that relationship with Naomi became like a marriage. We're together till death does us part. And that's it. I'm in. I have committed, in other words. I'm not going to stay with you for three months, six months, and things get worse, and I'm back off to Moab and my sister and my family. No, I'm in this for good. I'm in this all the way. Now, that is a beautiful commitment to make, no matter what the circumstances, you need to be committed to something. God put us here to commit ourselves to Him. Now, people have committed themselves to a lot of different things, but very rarely do they commit themselves to God. Now, Ruth in this story becomes a type of the church of God. Boaz, whom you're to meet here momentarily, is a type of Christ. In fact, his name even means, in him is strength. And Christ is our strength. Boaz was a strong man, as we shall see. And there's a type here between Boaz as Christ and Ruth as the church. Verse 18, then, when she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left uh, left speaking to her. She just, okay, it's settled. I'm not going to say anything more about it. We're not going to go three days march, and then I'll bring it up again. She says, it's a done deal. You're with me then. So they, they too went till they came to Bethlehem. And it came to pass, when they were come to Bethlehem, that all the city was moved about them, and they said, Is this Naomi? So she came in, and people began to recognize her, and a crowd began to grow, and here she was ten years later. She changed somewhat, and yet they identified her. Oh, is this Naomi? Yeah, it is. This is Naomi. And she said to them, Call me not Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. And Mara means bitter. So she was not in a happy state, okay? She was bitter about losing her husband, losing her sons, being in a situation where she couldn't survive, and having to go home uh, with her head down, to Israel to be back among her people and try to find some answer there. I went out full, and the Lord had brought me home again, or has brought me home again empty. Why then call you me Naomi, or pleasant one, seeing the Eternal has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? She was pretty low, wasn't she? Pretty bitter. Pretty frustrated. 
not much hope. Just, here I am, there's nothing to see. <laughs> Feeling sorry for herself, she certainly was, in many respects. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, which returned out of the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. So this was in springtime, just about Passover time. The barley harvest comes uh, in the spring if you plant it here in the winter. And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. So, yeah, she was back in Israel. She was back with family. And there was a notable one in that family. And his name was Boaz, a mighty man of wealth. Uh, Christ has the, the greatest wealth there is, and he is certainly the mighty one. And that ties in this story. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. Uh, Christ is the one who provides grace. She used that word, wherever I find someone who gives me the green light, who gives me grace, who gives me uh, kindness so that I might glean the corners of this field, is what she's saying. And she said to her, go, my daughter, we need to eat. <laughs> uh, God may have cursed us, things may not be going so well, but we still got to eat. So... Go glean some barley. <clears throat> Go, my daughter. And she went and came and gleaned in the fields after the reapers. So the reapers came through of the owner of the land, and then they left the corners of the fields for people like Ruth, who didn't have and was in need. Uh, and her happening was to light on a part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. This was just, in that sense, by chance, that, I mean, there were other owners around with other fields, and she happened to come upon a field that Boaz owned. Now, is that truly happenstance? Or as we read the story, will we see that it was planned in advance, maybe by God, if you use the types that are here. Um, Behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless you. So it was a good employee-employer relationship between Boaz and those who worked with him. And it should be a pleasant relationship between Christ and his people. We should be able to speak one with the other in peace, in respect, in love, and in kindness. That's the relationship he had with his employees, which is pretty good because there are very, very few employer-employee relations in the world that are all that good. There's usually friction between uh, wherever you go to work. There's politics, there's friction, there's all kinds of personal issues. 
in any company you go to or any group of people you go to. But here it appears to be a very friendly, good relationship. That means there had to be character on both sides, right? There had to be people who were keeping good, responsible, respectful attitudes and went about life with that kind of respect for them to be friendly that way. God bless you. How often do you have an employer tell his employees, God bless you? Or how often do you have employees say to management, God bless you? Pretty rare, actually. Then said Boaz to his servant that was set over the uh, reapers, had a foreman there, uh, whose damsel is this? So he saw Ruth, and who's she? And the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, It is the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. So it was not a big town, and word had gotten around that Naomi was back, and this foreman knew that. And maybe Ruth had introduced herself when she came to glean to the foreman and asked, Can I glean here? In other words, if I found grace in this field, is it okay if I go ahead? So he knew who she was and told Boaz. And she said, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. I won't go in and take that which hasn't been uh, gone over by your people. I'll take what's left. So she came and has continued even from the morning until now that she tarried a little in the house. She took a break for lunch and she came early and she's been here working all day long. Then said Boaz to Ruth, Hear you not, hear you not, my daughter, go not to glean in another field, neither go from here, but abide here fast by my maidens. Now he knew she was a relative, uh, and apparently he liked what he saw in her, and he says, I want you to work here, I don't want you to go anywhere else, I will, I'll take care of you here. Uh, stay with my maidens. In other words, my employees that are reaping for me, I want you to stay with them. So it sounds like he was kind of giving her permission not just to do the corners or just where they had already reaped, but he, she could stay close with them. Let your eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go you after them. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch you? Not only that, you're going to receive protection here. Uh, yeah, you're from a far country, and young men are young men, and I told them to keep their hands off, okay? Well, that's a comfort to a young girl by herself. So Boaz was being very kind and very nice and loving toward her. And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. They'll keep their hands off you, and you can have the water that they've drawn out of the well. <clears throat> Boaz appears to be very kind, very gentle, very helpful. He was a wealthy, rich man. He didn't have to pay any attention to this poor girl that had just come from Moab. Who does Christ pay attention to? 
the weak and the base generally. Uh, he is rich and wealthy and mighty. And yet the poor, uh, the humble, those who do not have much, he has great love, sympathy, kindness, and compassion for. Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground, humble, meek, willing to bow herself, obeisance, and said to him, Why have I found grace in your eyes that you should take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? So this struck her strange, that this wealthy, powerful man would show kindness to her. And she didn't get up at him. She didn't claim that he was... Uh, What's the word I'm looking for here? I, she was not a kind of person who was full of ego and self and not willing to accept help. That's what I'm looking for. Uh, she was humble in that sense and was grateful and thankful for what she could have and grateful and thankful to him for what he did provide. So... She did not have a vanity or an ego problem, was willing to bow and uh, show respect to him. So here I am, just a stranger. Why would you be kind to me? And Boaz answered and said to her, It has fully been showed me all that you have done to your mother-in-law since the death of your husband." And how you have left your father and your mother in the land of your nativity, and you are come to a people which you knew not heretofore. He said, I may not have met you until just now, but I heard that Naomi was back, and I looked into this thing, and I checked with people, I talked it around, and I found out what kind of person you are. Now, he knew that she was a relative through Elimelech. So he wanted to know, who is this girl? What kind of person is she? Maybe he had seen her on the street. Maybe he had not. He had not met her. But he had looked into her background. And he already had a good opinion of her before he ever met her. Wouldn't that be nice? If all of us could always, when we met someone, run into a good opinion of ourselves from them. We should be living in such a way that that could be a possibility. Now here, I mean, people you meet don't look into your background. They don't have private detectives everywhere checking everybody out before they meet. But when you do meet people, if they do know your background... They know where you're from. Wouldn't it be nice if your life had been such that they would already have a respect for you and show that when you met? I've heard about you. You're a good person. That's what I've been told. Wouldn't that make you feel good? Sometimes we meet someone and they say, I've heard about you, and they kind of get this look on their face, and you say, oh my, what did they earn? It can be either way. 
So he said, I've looked into it carefully. And you've come to a people and you're a stranger here. He says, the eternal, verse 12, recompense your work and a full reward be given you of the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you are come to trust. Now when we, no matter what background we had, come to God, come to be a spiritual Jew under Christ, it doesn't matter where we've been or what we've done. We could be in a strange land, Moab. We could have come from any nation on earth. And it doesn't matter whether we were an Israelite or not. It means nothing because salvation is open to any people, any race, anyone who will turn, bow before God, bow before Christ, Show respect and reverence for Christ. Ruth did that with Boaz, who here is a type of Christ. And he was kindly and gentle and accepting of her. Didn't matter that she was poor. Didn't matter that she was from a far country, at least recently. Didn't matter anything except he saw a good person there or someone that he wanted to work with. He obviously wanted to work with her because he had said, stay with my maidens, have the water, do whatever you want, but stay here. Now when we come before Christ, he says, okay, you've been a rotten sinner, uh, you've been a murderer, an adulterer, you've been a thief, you've been a liar, you've been uh, everything that you shouldn't be. Didn't matter. Prostitute? How about Rahab? Ruth? Uh, hadn't been that. But Rahab had. And Christ said, that's okay. It isn't okay what you've been doing, but you've quit it. And now you're coming to Israel to be a part of Israel. And it's fine. All your sins are forgiven. And Rahab is mentioned in Hebrews 11 as one of those who will be among the first fruits. Christ is going to marry Rahab, among others. So it doesn't matter. What we've been is nothing compared to what we shall be. And as we repent and change from what we have been, Christ is so kind and gentle and gives His grace. Ruth was going out looking for grace, and she found it. You come to under the Lord God of Israel, whose wings you are come to trust. <clears throat> Christ uh, used uh, Mother Hen as a type of himself, that the little chicks would come and gather under his wings. The church the same uh, as the hen. People gather under her wings, under Christ, who has eagle wings for that matter. There are different types through the Bible. But they all show taking care of. And he was turning to take care of her. Then she said, Let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for that you have comforted me, and for that which you have spoken friendly to your handmaid, though I be not like to one of your handmaids. I'm, I'm not like one of your employees. I'm not like I'm a, an Israelite here working for you from this town. I'm a stranger and a poor one 
and you have shown me great favor and grace. Do we ever have room for an angry, bitter, lackadaisical attitude toward Christ? We should always be full of gratitude and thankfulness to Him that He's taken us who were nothing in this world. We weren't from Him. We weren't from His truth. We were just from the world. And He took us in, and He showed us His truth. And he showed us an opportunity of salvation. And, given, and he's given us grace and forgiveness and mercy. What's not to love about him? It's beautiful. So Boaz said to her, At meal time... <laughs> Come you here, and eat of the bread, and dip your morsel in the vinegar. And she sat beside the reapers. So the relationship here is growing. It's getting deeper. It's getting more familiar. They're responding to each other. Like Christ and his bride have to learn to respond to and get to know each other better and build the relationship. Because that's where this one was headed. Nobody knew it yet, but it was. So she sat beside the reapers, and he reached, he reached her parched corn, and she did eat, and sufficed, and left. So she ate, and she went up, got up, went back to Naomi, went back home. And when she was risen up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and reproach her not. So now he's saying, let her get right out in the middle of the field where it hasn't been reaped at all. She can have all she wants. Now, doesn't God promise us through Christ that if we will serve him with our hearts, if we will show reverence, respect, worship, that he'll give us everything. He'll give us the entire universe. He'll give us this earth to live on in peace and safety, and it is going to be a world that has all pollution removed. It's going to be, ultimately, in its Edenic condition. We saw that of a small area yesterday, where he'll begin to do it with a small, small number of people who come to him, his church, that he draws out. And then he's going to expand it to the whole world and offer her any and everything. He will hold nothing back. Now that's the way God expects a husband to be to his wife. He expects a man to be willing to give all to his wife. Everything. Not just finances, that's included, of course, but all his emotion, all his feeling, all his love, all his kindness, all that he is, he should be willing to give to her. Not hold back, but to give it all. Because they are one. They become one flesh. And they should take care of each other as one. 
So she's showing that she's willing to give all to Boaz, and that will that plot will thicken here. And he shows he's willing to give everything to her. So the perfect marriage is where nobody holds anything back, but gives everything to each other. And that's the kind of marriage Christ wants with 144,000 throughout all eternity. No holding back. You're mine and I'm yours. And that includes everything. That's what it says here. Uh, let me see. Where was I here? <clears throat> so that was, at, I guess that was at noontime, all that was happening. And then in the evening, she rose and took it up and went into the city. And her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. And she brought forth and gave to her that that she had re- reserved after she was sufficed. So she had eaten some for lunch. And now she gave it all to Naomi. She didn't say, if you'll be nice to me, I'll give you a little. She just came and turned it over to her. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where have you gleaned today? Now, Naomi probably understood that Ruth had brought in more than a gleaner normally would have. Because by the, before the end of the day, she was gleaning in the main field. And she had a, an ephah, a full bushel, if you will. Where have you worked? Blessed be he that, take, did, that did take knowledge of you. He saw she had been given some extra favor somehow. And she showed her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord, who has not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. Wow, Boaz, wealthy, powerful man. There are those who are living that he's taken care of, and now he's taking care of the dead. She considered herself in that sense dead, and Ruth as well. They were poor Didn't have much. And Naomi said to her, The man is near of kin to us, one of our next kinsmen. (laughs) Not only did he help, he's our kinfolk. And Ruth the Moabite said, He said unto me also, You shall keep fast by my young men until they have ended all my harvest. So I'm, I'm to stick here. God did his part. He opened everything up. For the church under Christ. This isn't just a story here. This is in the Bible, the Word of God. It has to have meaning on a spiritual level for God, the church, mankind, or it wouldn't be in here. See? Am I putting things in here that aren't here? No, I'm not, because it's part of God's relationship, and God's Word to man. That's us. It's here for us, and it has spiritual meaning for us. It's not just a nice uh, hallmark story you see on TV. It's more than that. Um, 
So she kept fast by the maidens of Boaz, in verse 23, to glean to the end of barley harvest and of wheat harvest. So when the barley harvest ended, wheat harvest started, she stayed through it all and dwelt with her mother-in-law. So she was going back and forth to Boaz Field all this time. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? And now is not Boaz of our kindred, with whose maidens you were? Behold, he winnows barley tonight in the threshing floor. So Naomi's beginning to get to be a matchmaker here. She sees what's going on and says, I think we better work on this deal. Wash yourself, therefore, and anoint you, and put your raiment upon you, clean up, look good, smell good, and get you down to the floor. But make not yourself known unto the man, until he shall have done eating and drinking. So get down to the harvest floor, peek in the door, see where he is, don't show your face. Don't let him know you're there. And it shall be when he lies down that you shall mark the place where he shall lie. And you shall go in and uncover his feet and lay you down, and he will tell you what you shall do. Now, he's either going to like it or he's not. And he'll tell you what you shall do. He could have said, get out of here, you slut. Uh, Or he could have said, hi there. Or whatever. We'll see. And she said to her, All that you say unto me, I will do. And she went down to the floor. She, she liked Boaz, obviously. Went down to the floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law bade her. And when Boaz had taken, had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, so he had had some food and some alcohol, and he was feeling good, and laid down to sleep. He went to lie down at the end of the heap of corn, and she waited a bit. Maybe he started snoring, who knows. And she came softly and uncovered his feet and laid her down. And it came to pass at midnight that the man was afraid and turned himself, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. So he woke up surprised. He felt her there and turned and looked. And he said... Who are you? It was dark. And she said, answered, I am Ruth, your handmaid. Spread forth, therefore, your skirt over your handmaid, for you are a near kinsman. I'm Ruth, and I'm a near kinsman. He says, put your blanket over me, which means accept me here. And he said, blessed be you of the Lord, my daughter. For you have showed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning, insomuch as you followed not young men, uh, whether poor or rich. I'm, I'm an older guy, and you've showed kindness and love for me. When there were all these young guys around here, you could have been chastened. So it impressed him that she came to this older man, himself. And now, my daughter, fear not. I will do to you all that you require. I know why you're here. I'll make sure it gets taken care of. 
For all the city of my people do know that you are a virtuous woman. Now, she was there at his feet. She wasn't laying up beside him. She wasn't being forward that way. She was just at his feet, out of respect and love, and she was offering herself to him. Not as a concubine, but a legitimate relationship, a marriage, really. Naomi knew what she was doing. And now it is true that I am your near kinsman, Howbeit there is a kinsman nearer than I. Tarry this night, and it shall be in the morning, that if he will perform to you the part of a kinsman, well and good, let him do the kinsman part. But if he will not do the part of a kinsman to you, then I will do the part of a kinsman. As the Lord lives, lie down till the morning. So he accepted her, probably spread his blanket over her, and says there are some legal things here that have to be taken care of. In Israel, if your husband died or your kin died, then the nearest kinsman was supposed to marry you. In fact, if, you're, uh, if you had a brother and his wife died, um, I'll get it right, um, the brother died, you were supposed to marry the widow. That was the way it was. She was not to remain a widow, but the brother would then marry her in place of the brother who had died. My wife always said, I'd rather die than marry your brothers, but uh, whatever. <laughs> and I didn't blame her. She said, you're bad enough, why would I want to marry them? Nah. Anyway... He was going to take care of the legal ramifications and make her his wife, but he had to offer the nearest kinsman an opportunity to follow the law and take her in. And she lay at his feet till the morning, verse 14, and she rose up before one could know another. She didn't want scandal, so she slipped out while it was still dark. And he said, let it not be known that a woman came into the floor. So, to anybody who might have seen it in the dark, he says, leave this alone. <laughs> we don't need any gossip here. Also, he said, bring the veil that you have upon you and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six measures of barley and laid it on her, and she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, who are you, my daughter? And she told her all that this man had done to her. He had accepted her, kept her there, and then he gave her a gift of barley in the morning. She said, These six measures of barley gave he me, and he said to me, Go not empty to your mother-in-law. Then said she, Sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will fall. So the man... Uh, will need not be in rest until he have finished this thing this day. So she recognized, after what he had done, that he was indeed interest, and he was hot for her, and he would take care of this. He wasn't going to, ah, I'll take care of that next week or next month. Naomi saw that he had interest and knew that he would take care of it. Wouldn't it be nice to know if you were getting married, say, to Christ or a man on the earth? 
that he would take care of things. He would make sure you were taken care of and everything that you needed, he would do his very, very best to supply. <coughs> and Christ does that with us. Sometime we lim- sometimes we limit him in how he can bless us because we aren't the wife to be that we ought to be. And therefore, he has to withhold until we get in a thankful, grateful, I love you attitude, then he will bless us again. But it should be both ways all the time. Then went Boaz up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, a kinsman of whom Boaz spoke came by, and to him he said, Ho, such a one. Turn aside, sit down here, and he turned aside and sat down. So he was being friendly with him. He wasn't acting like, I'm trying to get something from you. He said, Ho, such a one. You're, you're something. Sit here on here and talk to me. So he's friendly. And he said to the kinsman, Naomi, that is come again out of the country of Moab, sells a parcel of land, which was our brother Elimelech's. And I thought to advertise you, saying, Buy it before the inhabitants and before the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know. For there is none to redeem it beside you. And I am after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Things not going so well here for Boaz. He's talking about land. I don't know that Naomi had land. Maybe there was something ten years back her husband owned. But he's not talking about land. Boaz had lots of land. He didn't need another piece of land from Naomi. But he presented it that way at first. And the guy says, okay, I'll take it. Then said Boaz, What day you buy the field of the hand of Naomi, you must buy it also of Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. So maybe there was a small piece of land that wasn't worth much, but he said, Okay, you want to redeem the land? You can, but you've got to take Ruth to be your wife as well. Well, wait a minute here. Let's rethink this. <laughs> He used some wisdom, some cleverness, if you will, uh, to present it one way and then throw in a woman, and that cleared the deal. Uh, And the kinsman said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar my own inheritance. Redeem you my right to yourself, for I cannot do it. You can have the land and the woman both. Now, this was the manner in former time in Israel concerning redeeming and concerning changing. For to confirm all things, a man plucked off his shoe and gave it to his neighbor. And this was a testimony in Israel. If I give you my shoe, uh, it's pretty serious business. I'm going through with it. And when you get what I'm offering you, I want my shoe back, okay? But I'm giving you my shoe as... Uh, collateral. Therefore the kinsman said to Boaz, Buy it for you. So he drew off his shoe. And Boaz said to to the elders and to all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Kirion's and Maeon's of the hand of Naomi. 
So apparently there was a little piece of land there, but it wasn't enough that Naomi didn't feel poor, if you will. Uh, it was just there. Christ redeems us. So he's redeeming uh, Naomi. He's redeeming Ruth. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Mayan, have I purchased to be my wife, to take up the name of the dead upon his inheritance, that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren, and from the gate of his place, yes, are witnesses this day. I've got this thing, it's legal. Uh, Christ purchased us, he redeemed us, purchased us with his blood, his life, and we are now his. And there are lots of witnesses that Christ is redeeming a people. And all the people that were in the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. We agree. We see this. It's a deal. Uh, there's going to be peace. That's what her, Naomi's name had been, peaceful one. And there's going to be peace here between Boaz and Ruth and Naomi and in the general populace because they agreed and witnessed the deal. He says, The Lord make the woman that has come to you, to your house, like Rachel and like Leah, which too did build the house of Israel. So be, have a wife out of Ruth the same way that has been in the past. And let your house be like the house of Therese, whom Tamar bare unto Judah, of the seed which the Eternal shall give you of this young woman. Be blessed with children. So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife. And when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Now, Christ throughout the prophecies talks about how his bride, the church, is to bring forth the man-child, to bring forth Christ. She may be his wife, but she is to bring forth people like him, to replicate him. And that's the position she was in. And the woman, women said to Naomi, Bless thee the Lord which has not left you this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel, and he shall be unto you a restorer of your life. Christ is the restorer. We've been talking lately a lot about restoration. And Pentecost is tied with the last day of unleavened bread, meaning deliverance and restoration. They came back from Moab and were delivered from famine, delivered from nothingness and bitterness to happiness and joy and peace forevermore in the city, in the, among the people of Israel and to be like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. That was the good wishes that were put upon them. And we are to be that to Christ and to God. So there's a powerful story here. He restored your life and nourished of your old age. 
for your daughter-in-law, which loves you, which is better to you than seven sons, has borne him. And they, they all said, this, this kid that she just had is better than seven sons. You can't say that about many, but you could say it about Christ. And Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom and became nurse to it. And the women, her neighbors, gave it a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. So, he was in Christ's line. And Christ was to be born of Ruth and Naomi's family. It's kind of a nice honor to come back from nothingness and bitterness to be in that line of people and have Christ ultimately as your Savior. So these are the generations of Pharez. Pharez begat Hezron, Hezron, Ram, and Ram, uh, Aminadab, and Aminadab begat Nashon, and Nashon begat Salmon, and Salmon begat Boaz, and Boaz begat Obed, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David, who is in the line of Christ. So, this is tied with Christ and his dealings with his people and how he is redeeming us from being spiritually downtrodden, spiritually poor, spiritually with no hope, to have hope in the Father and the Son and be redeemed from those of the earth and be a first fruit, part of the bride of Christ. That's what the story of Ruth and Boaz are about.